0: Coming up on this episode of the MD and Chef Team Show. Hematologist, what did he diagnose you with?
1: Polycythemia vera.
0: Wow, that's a big difference from CML.
1: Yes, you would would know. Oh my
0: gosh. (laughs) Holy moly, polycythemia vera. Uh, Okay, so what's the treatment for that? Tell us the treatment for that.
1: So different medication, which was much more tolerated for my body. Um, and then I also got uh, therapeutic phlebotomies where they, you know, just take off blood basically and throw it
0: away because my blood is too thick. Welcome to the show from the, the MD, MD and Chef, and chef team. team. I'm Dr. Isabel, medical doctor here at the MD and Chef team. And who are you? And I'm Chef Michael, culinary nutrition expert. I'm the chef part of the team. And what are we going to talk about, babe? Now, I can say that because he's my husband. (laughs) Yes. Well, then, we'll be talking about marriage, relationships, parenting, intimacy. We'll talk about mindsets of success, overcoming depression, anxiety. I'll be getting into functional nutrition, recipes, and tips from the kitchen. And we're going to both get into how to live a long, healthy, vibrant life. Yes, I love it. Our mission is to help you prevent and reverse disease and give you hope in the process. Oh, oh yeah, we, we like, like to, to have, have fun, fun too, so let's get on with the show! Hello Lynn, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, how are you? Great, where are you coming to us from?
1: I live just outside Portland, Oregon in a town called Oregon City.
0: Mm, good coffee in Oregon.
1: Yes, Definitely. Eating the uh, West Coast, Seattle, and Portland good coffee.
0: <laughs> Have you lived there all your life?
1: I haven't. I actually grew up in Idaho. And then when I graduated from high school, I moved to Oregon to go to college. And then I moved to California. And then I came back to Oregon after I was done with uh, grad school.
0: So you, you love it in Oregon?
1: I do. It's I love the ocean. I love all of the beautiful trees.
0: Now, are you closer to the ocean than... Um... Than any of the other cities? I'm not familiar where Oregon City is.
1: Um, we're about a little over an hour drive over
0: to the ocean. So oh, not super great. far. Good, good, great. Well, I you know, as you know, I'm here in New Zealand. Yes. And yeah. I thought, how about if I introduce you to our listeners and we can share your story? Because I love to hear your story. Is that okay? Yes, definitely. Awesome. Great. Welcome everybody, I'm Dr. Isabel, your host at the MD and Chef team, and today we have Lynn DeMastro-Thompson all the way from Oregon, United States of America, where I used to come from, but now, you know, hey, home is anywhere you live, right, Lynn?
1: Yes, totally, (laughs) and Lynn looks absolutely beautiful.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a little frosty today, but that's okay, we're in winter, which is kind of crazy, isn't it?
1: Yep, it's always interesting, the opposite weather, you know, the opposite time of the year with the hemispheres.
0: Yeah, it is crazy. Well, I'm just going to share a little bit about your story, okay? And then you will take it from there. So Lynn Del Mastro Thompson is a mind-body medicine practitioner using the healing systems of Body Talk and Body Intuitive. She's also a speaker and author of the Amazon bestseller, Strong Work, girl. You are not your diagnosis. Yes, so true. Lynn holds a master's degree in somatic psychology and has completed additional specialized training and biofeedback therapeutic yoga. I'd love to learn more about that and Reiki or is yeah. it Reiki? Is it Reiki or Reiki? I think it's Reiki is how I've always heard it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, tomato, tomato, huh? Right. (laughs) After being diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 25, oh, you've got to share more about that story in a little bit, okay? Because that's so important. Um, Lynn became passionate about sharing with the world her message that just because a doctor has said an illness is chronic, Or incurable doesn't mean that it has to be a life sentence and that Western medicine isn't the only approach to healing. Amen. When one explores other holistic options, true healing rather than symptom management can occur. Through her one on one work with her clients over the past 10 years, Lynn has helped hundreds of women reclaim their lives and health after receiving a life changing health diagnosis. Many of her clients have been able to decrease or eliminate certain prescription medications. Yes. Yes. And of course, you're doing that safely. I know you're doing it safely, as well increase their energy and stamina. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Do you have your cup of, do you drink coffee? I actually don't. We were
1: chatting about coffee, but I, caffeine and I have never been friends. Even since I was like young, I'm always very sensitive to it. So I'm sipping on some water,
0: which is oh, always good for us. Yes, always. I forgot my water this time. I was kind of like in a dash to get here. Okay. So can we, can I ask you, tell me what happened at 25? Yeah, Definitely.
1: So I was kind of cruising along in life. I had gone to grad school to pr- pursue a PhD in history right after I graduated from college. And so I was kind of, I think, three years into that process when this all happened. And I was scheduled for elective surgery one summer. Um, I was supposed to have a breast reduction. And did all of the process of, you know, the pre-op blood work and got all marked up the day before. And the night before the surgery, I got this phone call, the phone call that, you know, you don't really want to get from your surgeon. And he said, I just looked at your pre-op blood work and something looks off. And I started to panic and he said, you know, hey, hold on a second. Why don't you just, you know, go back and get the labs run again? Because sometimes, you know, lab mistakes happen. Mistakes happen, you know, and and at 25, I had never really thought about that before, but you know, now I know it is definitely true. And so I went back, they ran the labs again, and I get the phone call again an hour later and he said, yeah, it's not a lab error. There's something that doesn't look right. And basically I was left with the news. I can't do surgery and nothing really else other than your labs look abnormal. Go see your primary doctor as soon as you can get in. And that oh, was the beginning of this just rabbit hole. You know, you can imagine just being told this news, we can't do surgery, but you don't know what's wrong in that moment. And I think the next day I got, yeah, I think the next day it was, I got in to see my primary doctor and he ran more labs and, you know, just all of these different tests. And, you know, nobody was telling me much of anything at that point, other than we're just trying to figure out what's going on. Mm. The next thing I know, like maybe a day or two later, I get a phone call from a doctor who I've never met. And he said, you know, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, um, freaked out because I don't know who you are and why you're calling me. And that's not a normal thing to have a doctor you don't know just
0: call you. No, it's not.
1: <laughs> and he said, well, you know, do you have any, are you feeling any symptoms of anything? And at this point, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be looking for because nobody's telling me anything. And he said, and I, I was so shocked at this point. I didn't ask that question. Like, well, what kind of symptoms doctor, you know, what should I be worried about here? Yeah. And he said, well, if you don't feel anything tonight, you know, stay home and meet me tomorrow morning at the hospital, the local hospital. And I was like, okay, this is really strange. And I show up the next morning at the hospital after I don't even know how I managed to sleep that night. I don't either. You know, just kind of with this not knowing anything other than he said he was a gastroenterologist. So I'm like, I kind of know what that is, you know, that it has to do with my digestive system or, you know, something like that. And he said, well, you know, we think that you've clotted off the veins that drain your liver. That's what it seems to point to through, you know, all of these lab tests. And I go, that's not supposed to happen, right? And he said, we need to figure out why. And so he sent in a hematologist to try and figure out, you know, what was going on, why I would have clotted off these veins that drain my liver. And I went through a whole bunch of tests. Um, I had to have, well, they attempted a bone marrow biopsy and it was Ouch. too painful Yes,
0: for me. I've heard they're very painful.
1: And, you know, th- this was just another part of the whole experience was so horrific because the doctor who performed it told me all I was going to feel was some pressure. And he just gave me a local injection and I, I couldn't even tolerate it. Like I was just in too much excruciating pain in that moment. And he had to stop because I was just, you know, screaming basically from the pain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, fast forward through all of this of, you know, I'm in this hospital, they, they figure out that I've clotted off these veins And the next step is also to figure out, well, how do we get these open? Because this is not good. Like my belly actually, at this point, started to swell up. And I had a bunch of ascites, a bunch of fluid Mm. in my belly. So I started to look like a pregnant woman, even though I was not pregnant. Not fair. Not fair, no. And so they sent me to a different hospital because they said, you know, we think we know what needs to happen here. We need to, you know, balloon open these veins, but we've never done it. This is a smaller hospital. So we want to send you somewhere where they've done this before, which I said, yay. Thank you. <laughs> don't want to be your <laughs> guinea pig. And I got transferred to a different medical center uh, in a different city in California and went through more diagnostic tests, another bone marrow biopsy, which they managed to actually successfully do. And then finally, I think this was probably about two w- weeks into this whole journey. Uh, they came, the, the team a leader, the doctor came in and said, you know, we, we have a diagnosis for you. And he said, we believe this is chronic myelogenous leukemia. Mm. And just terrifying, you know, to hear those words, like the word leukemia. Nobody wants to hear that from a doctor's mouth. no. So I heard that news and then immediately my mind started to race. I still remember the thought process of like, do I, am I going to need chemo? Like, what does this mean? Do I have to have like a bone marrow transplant? Like all of the things that you kind of have heard that relate to leukemia, you start kind of down that rabbit hole mentally. And he he quickly said, no, you're not going to have to do those particular things. We're going to give you this medication that's like a newer medication that targets what they believe is the genetic abnormality that causes CML. And so you don't have to do chemo. We're not going to do a bone marrow transplant on you. And that was kind of where it was left, you know, that that night of like, you're going to get to go home, we're going to send you home from the hospital, you'll go back to the town where you live, and the doctor will follow you who saw you in the hospital. And I was like, Oh, great, this guy who told me I was only going to feel some pain, or a little bit of pressure, you know, mm. when when he tried to do a bone marrow biopsy, he's now my doctor.
0: Mm. Right, Because so, he's the specialist.
1: He was the specialist and, you know, he was, quote, familiar with my case, even though I was like, would have preferred to see probably anybody else because we did not have really an initial good history together.
0: I mean, you have to have a relation, a good relationship with a doctor. If not, it just, it doesn't work.
1: It doesn't. And that's one of the things that I definitely learned through this whole experience was just, you know, how crucial that is to have, you know, rapport and trust and be able to say, you know, what you need to say and be listened
0: to. Yes, absolutely.
1: So I went on to be treated for that for three years, and I did not feel like I was improving. In fact, I felt like I was getting worse. Um, I went from being kind of somebody who always held maybe a little excess weight to being somebody who was like a human skeleton. And yet every time I would go to see the hematologist and he would run a particular blood test, I don't even remember what it was for, but I think it was for kind of the genetic component of CML. He said, oh, it looks great. The medication looks like it's working. And then he would say, how are you feeling? And I'd say, I feel terrible. Like, I I feel like I'm just, you know, getting worse. And he would always say to me, well, you look great. I'll see you in a month or two. And it was like, people on the street and friends, like people were saying, I didn't look great. I knew I didn't look great. It was just the biggest frustration to yeah. be dismissed when I said, I don't feel
0: well. Yeah. It's a disconnect, total disconnect. I'm sorry about, I'm sorry for the medical system. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, like, I know that space that he's in, you know? Yes. Cause he's doing all he knows, but right, you're not feeling better, but the labs look, good. I totally get that. And so I'm sorry that that happens. I'm really, Thank really you. sorry.
1: Yeah. It's frustrating when, and I hear this from clients too. I'm not being listened to when you say, I don't feel well, like, it's like, but look on paper, you look great, you know? And I kept actually in this time trying to get a referral to see a different hematologist because I was like, this is not working. Like we, we are not, supposed to be, uh, you know, matched together here. Right. And I needed a referral from my primary doctor to do that. And he kept saying, but you know, we went to medical school together. He's the best in town. And I'm like, this is seriously the best in town, you know? And I, I was kind of trapped in that for basically three years until I left my graduate school program and was able to get a job with health insurance because that was like the big issue. You know, at the time in the U.S., going from having student health insurance to getting just regular insurance was not something I could do. Mm. So I had to find a job that would give me insurance so then I could leave the program, even though I, I knew for probably at least a year or two I wanted to leave the program I was in. So it was the web of insurance and, and you know, a, a primary doctor who, you know, really believed and I know in his heart, he believed he was a good doctor, but it was again, like that disconnect of not being listened to.
0: Yes. And that is a key, key point is make sure that your doctor is hearing you. And if not, go find another doctor. You have that, you have that power. You got to be yes. the CEO of your health. So did you find a good doctor? I
1: did. Yeah. So once I left and I got new insurance and I got a new primary doctor who wasn't part of the student health system. um, And I said to her in my very first appointment, hey, I don't like this hematologist. We're, We're not a good fit. Can you refer me to somebody else? And she said, sure, here, you know, took out a piece of paper, wrote a referral to a different doctor And in my first appointment with the new hematologist, I brought in a stack of records that must've been, you know, two inches thick Mm. and he starts flipping through them and he goes, I don't think you have CML. I think, I think it's something else. I was like, what I had known, I think intuitively for three years was something was off and I just wanted somebody to help me figure it out. And he, he helped me figure it out. And I believe he was part of, you know, Had I continued down that path, I don't know, I might not still be alive.
0: Well, I applaud you for taking control, girl. Thank you. I mean, it takes a lot of courage and being bold and courageous to just go and do that. And so I applaud you for doing that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've become so passionate about teaching other people, too, because I think there's this impression, you know, that doctors are infallible or, you know, the, do- that we don't make medical mistakes. And then if you do look up statistics of how frequently, you know, medical error happens, it's like, whoa, yeah, you know it's, know, it's not how we want to think of things.
0: No. So, so you what know. did, what did they di- So what did this new hematologist, what did he diagnose you with?
1: Polycythemia vera.
0: Wow. That's a big difference from CML.
1: Yes. You would, you would know. So, oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> Holy moly. Polycythemia. Vera. Uh, okay. So what's the treatment for that? Tell us the treatment for that.
1: So different medication, which was much more <laughs> tolerated for my body. Um, and then I also got uh, therapeutic phlebotomies where they, you know, just take off blood basically and throw it away because my blood is too thick. And when I remember, you know, so clearly he said, I don't know how they came to this diagnosis because, you know, what they had labeled the clotting off the liver um, as they said, he said, this has never been correlated you know, Bud Chiari was that diagnosis. And he said, Bud Chiari has never been correlated in anybody with CML, but it's often been correlated in people with polycythemia. polycythemia. Yeah. It was like, where did they come up with this? You know? I don't
0: know. I don't know. Just not think, not thinking through the differential diagnosis, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, the best we could figure out after, you know, going through everything and actually going through trying to, um, do a medical malpractice case just for some accountability for what happened the best we could figure out is maybe there was a lab error in one lab that they ran whether it was somebody else's blood whether they ran the test incorrectly you know a swapped sample and they based everything on one lab test instead of all the other pieces that kind of pointed in a completely
0: different direction and then what happened
1: Um, once I started getting that, you know, correct treatment, things definitely were improving, you know, things did improve for me some before then, because I already had started to say, well, if the doctors aren't going to help me, there's got to be something else out there that can help me through this. And I already had become kind of empowered to say, I'm going to start doing things for myself that help me feel better. Yay.
0: I love it. I love that.
1: And that's, you know, I, I am definitely still not like anti-Western medicine. I think there's a role for it, but I think, you know, we have so many other things that are out there that can empower people to be more, you know, in charge of their health and to help support healing on deep levels.
0: Yes. And look, I'm, I'm all, I'm in agreement with you as a medical doctor trained in conventional medicine, There's great things about conventional medicine, and then there's great things about functional medicine and integrative medicine. And luckily, by the grace of God, I'm able to integrate them and put them in together. But there's a lot of conventional medicine that doesn't need to be happening. Like people need to be empowered to take control of their health. And that's why we're talking today. Yes. Because you did. And that's what, gosh, I just, I wish I could give what the magic, the pill that you took to become in control of your health. I wish we could manufacture it and, yes. and give it to everybody.
1: Yes, You know, because
0: it, it really helps, you know, to it be in does. control. <laughs> it, it
1: does. You have to realize that, you know, it, that you are ultimately a key ingredient in the healing process. And it's like delegating that authority or that knowledge to somebody else that doesn't work. To, to really get the results of, you know, saying, oh, well, you fix me, you know, you, you know, better than I know what my body needs. And it's like, no, that's not really true. We all have inner knowing of things that our bodies need, even if it's just a hint of that. And we follow it like a trail of breadcrumbs, you know, is that what happened to you? I think that is, you know, looking back at it at first, I just, my journey started with, I'm so anxious every day, like like with all of this, like my life was turned upside down. I need something that can help me with anxiety and stress. And so that was kind of where I started. Those were kind of the first little breadcrumbs on my trail of, I went back to biofeedback, which I had experienced when I was 12 and I got really bad migraines and I, I remembered that, you know, when I was like, what can I do? I'm so anxious. I feel just overwhelmed every day. It's hard to function. Well, I kind of remember that thing that I did when I was 12, you know, maybe that can help me now. And then that kind of led me to, you know, other things and working with a therapist at one point, um, about a year after my diagnosis and right after, uh, my best friend actually passed away the year I was the year after I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So I had these like two huge life-changing events that shook up my world and I needed help to process that. And she was the therapist introduced me to this class that was called yoga for healing. And I was like, what you want me to go to a yoga class? You know, <laughs> you know cause in my, in my mind, all I had ever seen before of yoga Was people in a gym doing, you know, pretzel yoga in my mind, you know, like doing headstands, and I'm like, uh, uh, "Lady, you do know that I'm like really sick right now, and I don't have the energy or the stamina to do these things that I was picturing." And she said, "No, Lynn, this is different. Like, just please trust me. Like, you're not going to experience what you're thinking you're going to experience when you go to this class."
0: And so, can you tell us a little bit about yoga for healing?
1: Yeah, so yoga for healing and and kind of also labeled as therapeutic yoga was just I think it was a key part of my journey. Um in the class a lot of the work was done just being on the floor. So sometimes you didn't even work up from, you know, being on your back or on your your side, maybe a little bit of hands and knees work sometimes, you know, not at really at all. Um, Working with a lot of props. So, you know, there was some inclusion of restorative yoga, which some people might be familiar with, where you have props of like bolsters and blankets and you just lie in these positions and you relax and you just kind of like give your body the support of props underneath you And then, you know, with meditation and just doing some, like, gentle breathing and visualization, this class was just, I mean, it it was amazing. It felt like this healing container that I finally Mm -hmm. stepped into that was just, you know, the teacher, I still think of her and, you know, send her love and gratitude because she was a part of my, my healing journey in such a big way. I learned that my body wasn't the enemy in that class. It was like, oh, I started to say, hey, I think my body is actually really trying its best, you know, instead of saying it betrayed me, it failed me. My body is just, you know, I'm defective. It was like, oh, maybe that's not really true. Maybe it just did all that it possibly could. And now I need to do for it what it needs.
0: I love it. Your body wants you to be well. Yes, it really, really, really does. It
1: does. Yeah, I I think that's you know such a hard thing sometimes when you're in the midst of a health crisis to not feel, you know, betrayed or let down or like your body is you know, mis malfunctioning or whatever. But the truth is, it's like looking back at my own story. I think part of my story was I hadn't listened to my body for quite a while and it had been trying to tell me for quite a while some things I needed to know and I was like nope not gonna listen to you not gonna listen to you and it finally was like okay well then I'm just gonna have to scream really loud until you actually go oh okay okay (laughs) I hear you now (laughs) yep not make excuses because when I was was struggling, you know, initially in, in grad school, I was always like, well, grad school's supposed to be hard. I'm supposed to be unhappy. I'm supposed to be stressed. Like all of these silly stories that, and, you know, beliefs that I bought into that, you know, I couldn't live a life where I was supposed to be happy. Pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> it, it, it boggles my mind to think how we start thinking like this and then just continue to, to bring, to allow every thought we ponder on every thought. And if it's negative, we don't, we, we are not taught to kick out the bad thoughts. Like we don't have to, we don't have to think on every bad thought. We can actually go, no, that's not what I believe. I believe this about myself. It's, and that's what I love about your journey is you've done that. You were like, okay, I'm taking control. I'm going to start changing the way I think. And, and you did. And look at you now.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I fully believe, you know, our minds are just such a powerful ingredient in that healing journey. You know, I geek out on stuff like placebo studies, because when you think about it, it's like, wow, isn't that pretty amazing that, you know, people get as good or better results from just believing that they are getting something that's going to help them than actually taking something. It's the belief.
0: Yes. Belief. Believe,
1: believe (laughs) believe, exactly. (laughs) You don't need a sugar pill to believe. You just (laughs) believe. (laughs) That's right.
0: So I'd like for you to talk to you talk to us about epigenetics and how that affects our health.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I've become really fascinated with this topic of you know. We've been for years and years told that disease is, you know, bad genes. And it's like all these things run in our families. You know, it's like, oh, if you've got cancer in your family, well, then you're probably going to get cancer. How empowering is that to keep hearing that message? So, you know, in the last, I think, when did the Human Genome Project start in like the, the
0: 90s, 1950s, I think? 1960s. Okay. So, kind of, with I think, the, I think, I forget off the top of my head. I, I know that, that
1: the Human Genome Project that was more the '90s, where they actually started to to map out the gene, like sequencing genes. Because <laughs> one of my teachers actually worked on the Human Genome Project. Yeah. So, well, you know, I, understanding- just so you know,
0: I studied molecular, cellular, developmental biology in Boulder, okay. Colorado, as my pre-med cool. degree, and I, that was in 1980s. And I remember we were already sequencing, we were already looking cool. at the sequences and all that. I was like, "Wow, those guys yes. are so smart."
1: Yes, it's so you know amazing to be able to look at how you know how our bodies are made and how complex and
0: calling all women. Are you feeling depressed, lack of energy, anxious, your thinking is foggy, poor sleep, or maybe even hopeless? You know there is a better you to present to this world. Hey, it's me, Dr. Isabel. And wow, if any of this sounds like you, I get you. I have been in this place and I've overcome those negative feelings. That's why I've created the free and private Facebook group called The Bossy Brain Solution. Yeah! Would you like weekly coaching to help you become your best self? Come and see for yourself and be empowered by the other women who want to shine their best light in this world. The link is in the podcast description, or you could search for the Bossy Brain Solution in Facebook groups. It's private and free, so come and join us today and know that there is hope, and I encourage you to remain unstoppable. And now, back to the podcast. And so, you
1: know, this understanding of epigenetics is more about rather than, you know, your genes themselves, your DNA being what's defective. It's like how our genes are turning on and off. So I always think of epigenetics. It's kind of like the recipe book analogy works for me really well to kind of understand a complex idea. So, you know, if you think of your DNA and every single cell in your body has the same DNA, right? But how does like, how do your muscles know what part of that code that they need versus like maybe your liver needs a different part of that code? And the answer is, you know, there's these markers on our genes that let us see the the recipe, so to speak, or not see the recipe if it's not needed. Hmm. And and so that's what they started to understand, you know, with doing this, the human genome project, you know, I think they thought there were going to be like billions and billions of, you know, pieces of genes and actually it's it's much smaller than what they thought so it's like how does this all work cuz we're hu- you know humans are complex and with this understanding of you know turning genes on turning genes off then they started to realize oh well what makes these these recipes sometimes get baked incorrectly so to speak mm-hmm. and that's really has more to do with you know our lifestyle factors our environment So, you know, we can look at the role of toxin exposures and how that affects what's going on with our genes. We can look at what we're eating. That's such a huge one, you know, that that we have a lot of control over. What are we doing with our bodies? Are we sitting all day or are we making time to move our bodies and exercise? Um, the role of trauma, the role of our beliefs. So like all of these things that are much more in our control, I mean, toxins, there's some components we can't completely eliminate, you know, there's toxins in the air that as individuals, we can't be like, goodbye, you don't exist anymore. I wish, I wish wish. magic wands, but
0: you know, away, (laughs) away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can choose not to, you know, buy a bunch of toxic cleaning products and, and use those in our house. You know, we can make better choices that will affect what's happening with our genes. And really it's, I think Bruce Lipton likes to say, it's only 1% of all diseases caused by the actual genes themselves. And the rest of it is all this, this lifestyle piece.
0: That's and one of the more. big, one of the big lifestyle pieces that we're seeing around the world right now is type two diabetes. I mean, so many people have the gene for type two diabetes and they're expressing it because of the lifestyle choices they're making. But if they did, if they did, you know, it's kind of like a stamp on the, on the, on the DNA. Oh, okay. Yep. Now I'm going to start, you're doing this. Well, then I'm going to start giving you type two diabetes. But if you don't do this and take it away, then that gene isn't expressed.
1: Exactly. exactly. And you don't you don't have
0: to have type 2 diabetes. You can actually reverse it. Yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's one of the things that's so frustrating too is sometimes, you know, I don't most doctors don't talk about that. It's like, oh, well, you just need this medication now. You have type two diabetes. And it's not like, well, if you actually change what you're eating and you change how you're moving your body. You know, I know plenty of people who have reversed it and don't need a pill to control the, the problem.
0: I've had patients that have reversed type 2 diabetes in two weeks
1: wow. and gotten
0: off all their insulin. Two that weeks. Is, that's awesome. But that's their choice. It's, they took that magic pill that you took.
1: Right. Like I'm going to be the boss. Exactly. (laughs) I make the choices of what I do with my body. I choose what I put into my mouth to eat. I choose how I move my body and and not just, oh, I choose to take this pill that kind of puts me, you know, in the passenger seat, just going along. Okay. I got type two diabetes now, you know, this
0: is, this is what I'm doing. And that's an easy seat to be in for people. It takes work. It takes work to take control. I wanted to ask you, talk to me about um, a few simple things that we can do to take back our health.
1: Yeah, definitely. So it really kind of rolls right into what we're talking about. You know, the first one, just thinking about these different lifestyle factors that we have control over. So, you know, thinking about the food that you eat. Um, one of my favorite people to listen to these days is Sean Stevenson. He has a great podcast that I love. And he says, remember, every cell of your body is made up of the food that you choose to eat. So, you know, do you want all of your cells to be made up of junk food or processed food? I certainly don't, you know, I want my immune systems to be made up of like real foods so that they're healthy and they're strong,
0: Mm -hmm. So,
1: you know, go through those things and kind of make some small incremental adjustments because I think that's the other thing that people often get overwhelmed it's like I listed off all these areas and you go so I have to change my diet I have to like change how I clean my house I need to exercise and you know blah 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 all these this list, list of 50 things and you go well that's too much so it's like pick one area and go okay what can I do you know to make some baby steps and just keep
0: building that's the word baby steps baby 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 steps because after a year it won't be a baby it'll it'll be a habit you know right. you're and those you'll baby have made steps
1: a, you'll have made a huge leap from where yeah. you were just by baby steps consistently
0: yeah consistent baby steps have you ever read this book the slight edge
1: i haven't but it sounds like it would
0: be awesome <laughs> it's a really good book it's about the bottom line is how we think and what we do affects our life every day. So we're Mm -hmm. either going to go up, you know, forward and up to our next best level self, or we're going to go down and crash based on little tiny steps that we make every day. The slight edge. I think I've read it three times. I'll be reading it again this year, just because (laughs) it's constant. It's just, you just got to do constant course correction.
1: Right. Yeah, I know. I've heard, you know, even just that 1% change of direction. It's like if you think of a ship, you know, taking like 1%, you know, turn of course over time that you're in a completely different place, even though at first it's like, oh, that's just like a tiny little to one
0: side. Yeah. So just a little baby step. So I want to for all the listeners, let's underline bold and enlarge with an exclamation point baby steps yes. every day baby yes. step hashtag baby steps every day
1: <laughs> yes 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 because it's less overwhelming right I when we when we go oh i got a list of 20 things i'm supposed to do differently no thank you that's too much you know <laughs> and it's too much to keep track of. You're like, Oh, now I've, you know, I've got this thing and that thing. And, you know, we already have a lot going on in our brain, but it's like, okay, if I'm just going to say every day, I'm going to like increase the amount of vegetables I eat. You know, I'm going to do that for a month. That is <laughs> love that.
0: <laughs> At what What's the other, what's another step that they can take?
1: I think, you know, remembering to ask for support, whether that be support of, you know, just people in your life, friends, family, you know, people who are doing something similar. It's great to have like just accountability from, you know, people in your life or, you know, sometimes seek out that professional help. It's like certain things are hard to change on our own. And maybe there's some underlying, you know, reasons why that is. So sometimes, you know, reach out to somebody and say, hey, I, you know, I need help changing my diet. I don't know what I'm supposed to eat. Like, cause there's a lot of things on the internet that you could look up and then you can also go, I don't know, is this true? Is it, you know, is this bad for me? There's five articles that say it's bad. And then there's five articles that say it's good. That might be helpful to seek out, you know, somebody who's an expert and say, and well, that you I trust. Know. Right, right, yeah, I've developed that relationship (laughs) (laughs) with somebody and say, you know, look at their credentials, look at how they've helped people overcome what they've overcome, and then, you know, say, hey, can you help me figure out, like, should I be eating this, or should I be eating this?
0: For my personalized healthcare plan, you know, because everybody's a personalized recipe.
1: Yes, yes, it's no, there's no one size fits all with everything. No, you know, we we are unique and, you know, one person might thrive on one thing and somebody else that might just be completely detrimental for their well-being.
0: Yes, yes. Um, so this ancestral talk, where there's so much ancestral trauma, you know, that yes. we've been hearing. Can you explain to our listeners what is ancestral trauma and how does that affect or play into our health challenges?
1: Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of where more, you know, the ancestral influences our health rather than, you know, the idea that it's bad genes. So now everything our ancestors lived through, whether they lived through wars or famines or, you know, just personal traumas like, you know, losing a child or something like that their bodies kind of remember those stories and they actually make changes sometimes in how those, those markers, those epigenetic markers go on and off. And some of it, you know, they've done studies of like Holocaust survivors and how that has, you know, affected the person who survived it, but what got passed on, what information through the epigenetic code to their, their children and their grandchildren, Cause it was basically designed to help them be prepared for the world that, you know, they thought they were going to come into, like, maybe that's not the world now, but if you've had ancestors who lived through something like that, and I see this a lot working with people with like metabolism issues. If you have an ancestor who lived through a famine, your body is going to be more geared towards, oh, well, you know, their famine could start tomorrow. So I better pack on a little bit of extra weight and hmm. save it. Because emergency is probably going to come, and that's how our our body could be hardwired because of that, so you know it's so interesting, and it's it's also not disempowering because there are ways to actually help resolve those pieces that we've inherited. Um, A lot of the work that I do with clients, we look at markers, both that our own bodies have created through all these factors, but also we can go back into an ancestor story and we can kind of see the story and heal it and then clear it from the person who I'm currently
0: working with. It's very interesting that you say that. Um, My mother uh, left Cuba. She's 96 years young right now. Wow. I know, living independently. Um, in her fifth floor apartment in Washington, DC. I just finished talking to her right now, but here's the deal. I just want to kind of share this, you know, cause stories are good. It kind of right. helps people understand. So mommy, um, you know, married my father who was an alcoholic and just was in fear, living in fear yes, the whole time. And um, she ended up leaving daddy after 26 years but she just was always in fear. She, she's, she would never say it, but she suffered from anxiety. Sure. And, and I grew up in that and it passed on to me, you know, I grew up with that gene of anxiety, you know, and and I lived in it. And just like, like right now, I just finished before I called you, I always like to talk to mom every day, you know, a little bit. And in Washington, DC, it was raining and thundering. And mom said, I have to hang up because it's thundering. So in her mind, the fear went off. I'm going to get electrocuted. Now I'm not, I love my mom and I just respect where she is and I'm not going to try and change her, but I'm not going to say, mom, come on. I don't know of anybody that's been electrocuted through the phone. Have you? no
1: but you know in her mind it makes sense on some level and you know at 96
0: sometimes we just have to say like you said that's where they're at and step away from that buffet so that's what I did and I said okay mom I'll call you and talk to you later but and as a result of mommy's upbringing and what she went through world war ii and daddy and all that stuff then I my you know my my sister and my brother and I have had to overcome anxiety yes yeah Yeah. so so and luckily hopefully by hopefully I've I've taught myself so that I can help my daughters so that they don't experience anxiety but they've experienced anxiety and, and they've had to learn on their own so it is very interesting. And it's empowering to know that just because of our ancestors went through something, we can actually overcome it. We can actually say, no, this is not going to play in our part. Have you found that? Is that what you say to your, your people? Yeah,
1: definitely. You know, in, in the work that I do with the tools that I have in both body talk and body intuitive, it's, it will come up sometimes see that, okay, there's an ancestral story of, you know, somebody who lived through a war or fought in a war or something like, you know, very traumatic. And we see the ancestor story and we see kind of where it's showing up in the client. Um, You know, maybe it's affecting like their adrenals and their cortisol production. So they're constantly in, you know, too much cortisol. And that's not even, you know, from their own story. It's just because they were prepared by some ancestor, you know, in the past for danger, danger, danger. We can clear that we can address whatever that epigenetic change that was inherited from the ancestor and it totally can shift for somebody it's like oh wow now I don't feel like I'm constantly on edge and constantly
0: in danger. Beautiful beautiful Lynn and do you work do you do I'm sure you work with the limbic system. Big Yes. Oh yeah yeah yep, yep.
1: <laughs> gotta work with all parts of the brain and the endocrine system and yeah C-
0: can you share with our listeners you know a couple sentences about the limbic system and why it's such a big deal to take care of it
1: <laughs> yeah I mean the limbic system like our amygdala lives in that part of the brain so it's it's always determining you know are we in fight or flight are we not in fight or flight you know do I do I need to be on high alert and ready to run from the danger or fight the danger? most of us are living in that, right? A lot of the times it's like we're stuck in fight or flight, even though maybe the stress that we're dealing with is, you know, people cutting us off in traffic. Well, that's not likely to kill us unless they're driving like a crazy maniac, you know, but just somebody cutting you off or, you know, your boss being just kind of not a nice person to deal with, that's not going to kill you. Yet your brain is reacting to it like, you know, I've got to be ready to fight for my life. And if we don't come out of that, if we don't switch into, you know, parasympathetic mode, it's really, really hard on our bodies.
0: And the parasympathetic um, part of the, of our system just helps us be in mellow mode, you know, kickback, sweet. She'll be right, mate. I'm safe. Yep. Exactly. Which Which is a good place to be most of the time. Our adrenals love that, right?
1: Yes, yes. It's a much better place to be. It's like life feels pretty good instead of like looking around waiting for that tiger to jump out of the bush all of the time.
0: How are you doing now, Lynn? Tell us how is how is your body? How how does how's your mind? How's your health?
1: My health is definitely a lot better. You know, I I taking control and, and doing all of the things that basically, you know, I did, and I, in my description of kind of that journey, and then kind of once I found this healing system that I, that's now kind of the primary thing I do has been a total game changer. You know, I, I actually, my spleen was enlarged because of the polycythemia vera, which is kind of a common thing you probably know. And, um, through working with one of my teachers and mentors, like at one point, my hematologist uh, kept feeling my spleen. And she's like, it's smaller than it was like, what's happening? (laughs) And it was just this funny thing to look at her face and go, you didn't agree to take that new medication I wanted you to go on, did you? And I said, no, I, I didn't feel like that was something my body wanted me to do. And my spleen still shrunk, you know, she's like, how is that happening?
0: Yep. Power of our mind. Yep. <laughs> I know. See, it's people like you, it's patients like you that will help change conventional medicine because yes. doctors will realize there's something more I'm going to start investigating.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. Cause she, I just always will remember what she said and she said, whatever that thing and she just referred to it as that thing that you're doing you know, it seems to be doing something, so keep doing it. But I never got more questions about what that thing was. It was just like, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I I think I'm seeing something that I can feel, you know, in, in measuring what your body feels like. And I've always wondered, you know, if she got curious on her own and started to kind of go down some rabbit holes. <laughs>
0: It, it may happen. It may not happen. It certainly happened for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're doing so much better. You definitely are so happy. You're glowing. I love your energy. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed getting to chat with you. Your energy is lovely as well. Thank you. Um, so three action steps before we go. Can you give us three action steps for our listeners so that they can implement and get, a, get wins right away?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, first start looking at what you're telling yourself every day. We were talking about the power of the mind. Try to catch yourself in, you know, what thoughts do I think like on a a recording loop and catch yourself and say, do I want to believe that if you don't want to believe that? You know, what would I rather believe and make it believable? I I take this from a friend um, who does hypnosis. You know, she says, what would you rather believe? And it doesn't have to be like, if you're really sick and not feeling well, it doesn't have to be like, I feel absolutely amazing today. And you're like, that doesn't sound believable. It's like, maybe it's my body feels a little bit better each and every day. Like that's a little bit easier for our brain to buy into and say, yeah, I can, I can start to see that. So, you know, really examining the power of your mind. Um, I think the second thing would be those baby steps that we talked about, like pick a baby step. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not going to tell you what your baby step should be. It could be move your body more. It could be look at what you're eating. It could be do something to reduce your stress every day. That's a good one you know, like what can I start to do each day? (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe listen to a five minute meditation or do some breathing and, you know, pick that and just be consistent with it. Um, And then I think thirdly, just, you know, remember to be empowered in taking control of your health. Like you are the expert If your doctor doesn't want to listen to you or if somebody that you're working with in a different way and as part of your care team doesn't want to listen to you, you know, as we talked about, get another opinion, um, seek somebody else to help you and really find people who want to believe in you and believe in what you want to believe that you can heal rather than just saying, oh yeah, no, this is, this is never going to get better for you. So why bother? You know, I don't want people like that on my team.
0: Exactly, it is your team, yes, and yes. you're 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 the one who decides who's on your team and who's not on your team,
1: yes, and it is okay to fire people from your team. I have done it. <laughs> it actually feels really good. <laughs> I
0: have to. It's well, like, can you, you tell you're,
1: you're not aligned for me, you know, you're not gonna listen to me. I, I've done it after a one appointment with certain doctors, and it's like you're trying to tell me that what I'm telling you about my experience is not important. I, I can't get it past that. Sorry.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's okay to to also not to fire people from your friend loop and your family loop, you know, be respectful, love them, don't want harm for them, but their words are not allowed to enter.
1: Yes. Into your brain. If you're surrounding yourself with people that don't believe what you want to believe and where you want to go, that's definitely just as influential as what, you know, a doctor could say or.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And listen, listen to that small, quiet voice inside of you, because it yes. will talk to you. And it does. You just have to listen. Yes, yes. And that's listen. where like,
1: meditation comes in, <laughs> where you can get quiet enough that you're like, oh, I think I might be like hearing some sort of inner, you know, whisper of, oh,
0: I can hear I, you. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe I should try this, or maybe I should stop doing that. It's like, once you start hearing that, it gets a lot easier.
0: So I'm going to go ahead and land this plane that we've all been flying on in business class. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And um, I just want to say, I want to ask, where can people find you? And what, what links, where, I mean, everything will be in the show notes, but where can people find you?
1: Yeah, definitely. So my website is heartfirehealingllc.com. And on there, um, you can look at there's a free gift, which is about how, um, how to understand what your body is saying to you through your symptoms. So stop being frustrated by your symptoms and start understanding. And I also offer um, an initial session that you can try the work that I do. So there'll be a link there if you want to kind of try a session at a special introductory rate. And I am somewhat active on Instagram these days. I'm taking a little break this week, but I, I'm, that's my main social media is Instagram.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your mess, which is now your message and you're helping. I know you'll be helping millions of people. Yes. I see you helping millions of people. <laughs> thank because you. People need to be empowered. We do for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a lovely day. And thank you for joining us on the MD and Chef team. I hope you have a super fantastic day. And remember, remain unstoppable. Hello, Chef Michael here. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review.